Good morning, everybody. Grace and peace through our Lord Jesus Christ on yet another Lockdown Sunday. It is always a great honor to be able to share from God's Word. And so for this morning, I wish to draw your attention to what would be for many a well-known passage of Scripture recorded in the book of Deuteronomy in the Old Testament that I hope would be and would bring a new challenge to us today. So please follow with me as we read from this passage, Deuteronomy chapter 6 from verse 1 to 9, and I read it according to the New International Version translation of the Bible. These are the commands, decrees, and laws the Lord your God directed me to teach you to observe in the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess, so that you, your children, and their children after them may fear the Lord your God as long as you live by keeping all his decrees and commands that I gave you, and so that you may enjoy long life. Hear, Israel, and be careful to obey so that it may go well with you, and that you may increase greatly in a land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, promised you. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. So the year was 1978. I was in primary school back then and our school as a fundraiser every Friday afternoon would screen some movies. I was part of a group of three friends. You know, we were so closely knit as, uh, together as friends. We did virtually everything together. Um, and so we called ourselves the Three Musketeers. And so we were quite excited to, to learn that one of those movies that was going to be screened was Bruce Lee in an epic Kung Fu style movie entitled The Way of the Dragon. The movie featured an epic fight scene between Bruce Lee and the then karate world champion, Chuck Norris. Yes, the legendary, seemingly invincible, roundhouse kicking Walker, Texas Ranger, Chuck Norris, you know, who legend has it, was challenged to a fight by Superman, and it was agreed that the loser would have to wear his underpants over his trousers. But in the movie, Chuck Norris loses in the fight to, to Bruce Lee. Now, it was very exciting, of course, for us as, as young lads. And so at the end of that movie, we did not just merely walk out of the venue. I mean, we, we flew out of that venue, you know, with Kung Fu style flying kicks, you know. But it was there and then that we decided as three friends that we were going to be joining Karate Club. And, and, and that we did. 
some of us, however, didn't last very long. You know, one of the, the, the musketeers, my one friend, he lasted about a month. I personally lasted just over a year, um, but dropped out just before grading exam. You know, I think I was a bit too scared of that. But it was our third friend that was disciplined, dedicated and committed enough that went on in the discipline, in, in karate, um, and did so well. Some national gold medals even along the way. He was committed to the task. Now I want to assure you that I'm not sharing that story because I'm in support of gratuitous violence, you know, as my wife would often say. You know, sometimes I think that I might not even be allowed to um, go and attend a performance of the Cape Town Symphony Orchestra, you know, because of all the violence. But I guess in that sense, I'm like a typical guy, you know, we like a little bit of action in our movies, you want to term it that. But it was our choices as friends that took us in different directions. Our one friend, he followed the way of the dragon, you know, he completely committed his life to, to the discipline of karate. The other friend, he, he followed the way of the world. Whereas for myself, I ended up following the way of the word. You see, while all three of us, the three musketeers, were part of the same Sunday school class, we actually ended up following different life paths. I guess for myself, this was by and large due to my parents who were committed to church. And in fact, they also, as a result of that, would not allow me to go to the weekend karate camps, you know, which would allow me to progress um, very far. But the lesson that I did learn through that experience was that in many things, if we are wanting to succeed, if we want to become any good at it, it would require commitment. You see, the, the Christian life can be described in terms of three stages. The first stage is what we call justification. The process by which we are made right before God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, in which we are looking forward to the third stage, which is glorification, when we will live with Him forever. And in between the life that we're living now, is a life of sanitization. No, so sorry, I mean sanctification. You know, it's actually one and the same thing. But you see, as a result of that, the Christian life can also be characterized by what I would like to call the three great seas. Two of them we know very well. The third which is going to be the main focus of what I'm going to be sharing about today, we probably know about, but we tend not to pay too much attention to it. In fact, we often end up neglecting it. The first great sea of the Christian faith is what we may call and what is termed the great commandment. So you may recall that in Mark chapter 12, when one of the teachers of the law came to Jesus and asked him amongst all of the commandments, which of the commandments is the greatest commandment? 
to which Jesus, quoting from this passage in Deuteronomy that we have read and another passage, immediately said to him, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. And the second one, loving your neighbor as yourself. You know, we know that one very well. And then there is the second great sea. And that we term as the Great Commission. Words that comes from Jesus in Matthew chapter 28, right at the end of his earthly ministry, in which he comes to us and says that we need to go into all the world and to make disciples. And I wish to remind us that that is a task that is not just for a special group of people that we call missionaries. It's actually a task that has been given to all of us. You see, because the, the main verb, the operative verb within that passage is not go, but rather it is make disciples. And so the assumption of the passage is that it is while we are going about our lives that we need to be making disciples. So... So that's the second great sea, the sea called the Great Commission. Now I'd like to bring us to the third great sea. And that third great sea is what I call the Great Commitment. And that comes to us from this passage that I've just read in the book of Deuteronomy. Now I feel that we maybe just need to give a quick background to the book of Deuteronomy so that we can understand the importance of that which we have read. The book of Deuteronomy is the last in a collection of five books right at the beginning of the Bible that is generally called by Jews the Torah. Now the word Torah is often translated as law and we're going to use that word today because most, are familiar, most people are familiar with that word. However, the word Torah is actually better translated by the word instruction. It is arguably, the book of Deuteronomy is arguably, arguably the most important book in the entire Old Testament. You know, in a sense, it is the summary of the entire law, the entire Torah, the first five books of the Bible, and is the theological basis for the rest of the Old Testament, especially when we read through the prophets. The book when you read it, you will see is recorded as three sermons of Moses that Moses presented to the people of Israel on the plains of Moab as they were about to enter into the promised land. So the book of Deuteronomy, when you read it as a whole, you will see that it actually provides what we may call a pattern for godly living. It takes God's law focused around those Ten Commandments that we know so very well, at the very center of, um, of all of the, the, the commandments, and then expands the practical implications for living as God's people based on the Ten Commandments. Now, the name Deuteronomy is also somewhat of a misnomer. You know, the name implies that it is a second law. But it isn't really a second law, it is actually a recounting or a repetition of the law based on the Ten Commandments. So the commandments, the Ten Commandments were first 
is first mentioned in the book of Exodus in Exodus chapter 20 in the context where Moses goes up onto the mountain of God, Mount Sinai, also known as Mount Horeb, and there he receives the commandments. Now, in the book of Deuteronomy, the Ten Commandments is repeated again. So, for example, we will read in Deuteronomy chapter 5 from verse 1 to verse 3, Moses summoned all the people and said to them, Listen, Israel, to the statutes and ordinances I am proclaiming to you. Hear them today. Learn and follow them carefully. The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Horeb. He did not make a covenant with our fathers, but with all of us who are alive here today. So within that passage we see that there are a number of technical terms that are used to describe different aspects as to how the law of God, how the Ten Commandments should be applied. Two of them I would just like to mention very quickly that occurs within the passages that we have read is the term statutes and ordinances. The two words are sometimes within the book of Deuteronomy used interchangeably, but when they are used very specifically, they are used in a way to show that the Ten Commandments has both civil implications, that is what the word statutes implies, and that they also have what we may call general boundaries as to the do's and the don'ts and the implications if we don't follow these commandments. They are called the ordinances. But all of this, all of these commandments is followed, particularly in the book of Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, with this word, listen. A, a very, very important word in the Old Testament. In fact, the word listen always implies obedience. See, the word that is used there is a very important technical word within the Old Testament called the word Shema. And that is why this entire passage, especially from Deuteronomy chapter 6 verse 4, is called the Shema Yisrael. In other words, the call to obedience by all those who are part of the nation of Israel, which became something like the nation's motto. To live a life of obedience. To live a life of great commitment to God, to the Lord's commandments, as well as to the implications of those commandments. And this is not something that we as Christians can just simply gloss over, you know, as we often do and say, ah, oh, you know, but all of these commandments are Old Testament, they are Old Covenant. No! We, we, we need to remind ourselves that when Jesus was challenged about this um, in Matthew chapter 5 or 17, Jesus himself said, Do not think that I have come to abandon the law or the prophets. I have not come to abandon them, in other words, to destroy them. I have come to fulfill it. And we need to note where these words are to be found directly after the Beatitudes, as well as that brief call for us to be salt and light. In other words, right at the start of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus, as Moses on the plains of Moab did, Jesus on that mountainside lays out the application, lays out the implications 
of the law as part of the new covenant. You see, it's not about legislation per se, but it's about covenant. It's about relationship. Indeed, while there is a measure when one reads the Old Testament and the New Testament that we need to recognize that there is what we call a discontinuity. For example, the Old Testament sacrificial system that operated within the Old Testament was discontinued in the New Testament. But while the ceremonial aspects of the law had been fulfilled in Jesus, the moral obligation of the law still continues and that is what we call the continuity between the Old and the New Testament. So I want to suggest that maybe we as evangelicals, while we have done well, and I do think we do well in emphasizing the great commandment, and while we often claim to be dedicated to the great commission, I want to respectfully suggest that maybe as evangelical Christians we have failed at the great commitment. Allow me to explain. You see, as we take a look at this passage in the book of Deuteronomy, I, I want to point out to us that the great commitment calls for a commitment in four areas of our lives. And those four areas are entitled our teaching, our talking, our tying and our testifying. So follow with me very quickly. First of all, I think that we do not follow the great commitment in our teaching. Because take a look at what verse 7 has to say. That we need to teach them to our children. The NIV translates the intent of the verse when it says, Impress these on your children and and that is not a call to just simply disciplining our children but rather it's a call to the process of discipling our children you see we we often focus and we uh, on on the, the task of discipleship as that which is for the unsaved when they become saved you know and that other people out there but but what about our families what what about the responsibility that we have to first preach the gospel, to share the message of the gospel within our own homes. We, we need to impress these upon our children. Um, that's probably the greatest, of, um, greatest omission that we have um, in terms of the Great Commission. Secondly, we fail in the Great Commitment through failing in our talking. Now, we need to do so in our homes, you know, as the, as the passage implies. But the passage actually goes beyond just the talking in our home, you know. And for many of us, um, it sometimes is about nagging on our children. And we think that um, the verse, as it is recorded over here, um, talking about them when you sit at home, you know, means that that's the only place that we talk about it. But the passage goes on to say, when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. So in other words, the, the idea here within this passage and what the passage is drawing to our attention is talking about our everyday life. That our talking should translate into a living. That is not just about that which we talk about within our homes, 
but there has to be a reflection of that within the way in which we talk within our community. In other words, our speech, the way in which we talk, should be dripping with God's word, should be influenced, should be permeated by God's word. Now, this is not just looking for the next opportunity to kind of Bible punch, you know, someone as we often say. But, you know, we have the opportunity and we have the ability to influence. We are salt and light after all. You know, we, we do have the choice in sharing the choicest of words rather than just sharing choice words, if you know what I mean. You know, and especially so um, on social media, we often see that happening. But we need to make sure that our words are God's words and that our words are indeed the words of life. So, so we need to demonstrate our commitment in that second area. In other words, our talking. The third area in which I believe we need to demonstrate the great commitment is by tying the commandments of God as symbols on our hands and our heads. Verse 8. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Now this might seem strange to us, but I'm sure that you would have seen some of this demonstrated by Orthodox Jews. Um, in fact, this commandment gave rise to the practice of wearing what are called phylacteries. Now phylacteries are small little leather boxes that are tied with leather thongs to the hand and arm, um, but also to the forehead. And this is often done, um, especially during, during prayers. Now, the boxes would actually contain passages of Scripture. And one of those passages of Scripture that would often be in a phylactery would be Deuteronomy chapter 6. As I said earlier, it was one of the, the motto verses. Now, while the practice to us might, might seem strange, what we need to understand in terms of the intent of the passage is that they are symbolic. They are metaphors using body parts to describe metaphorically specific aspects of our lives. You see, when, when one reads the Old Testament, you'll often see that the hand and the arm was a symbol of ability, a symbol of power and a symbol of authority. In the same sense, the head was a symbol of leadership um, and how one's thinking leads one um, into certain lifestyles, uh, um, along certain pathways and in, in certain decisions. So tying them in this manner symbolized the constraints that God's words was to bring upon their actions as well as upon their thoughts. Wearing a phylactery would feel quite uncomfortable. You know, you're wearing something on your on your head, you know, that no matter which way you turn, no matter which way you look, you, you always have um, this box before you. But But the point was that the word of God should ever be before one. And at the same time, wearing a phylactery on your arm um, and on your hand and tying it and binding it into one's body close to your heart, um, 
would actually then also symbol symbolize the way in which God's word should constrain us in terms of our actions, the way in which it should guide us in terms of our actions. The fourth area that I believe the passage calls upon us to demonstrate the great commitment is in our testifying. Now the last verse makes reference to also writing them on the door frames of our homes and on our gates. Now just like with phylacteries within um, Jewish homes and especially within Orthodox Jewish homes, this led also to the practice of taking the same scripture verses that would be in the phylactery, putting them in small boxes called mezuzah and then attaching them to the door frames so that as one entered the home and as one exited the home, one would be reminded that one's life within the home and one's life outside of the home should be a reflection of God's word, God's word that guides one's life. But then the passage also goes on to say that it needs to be tied to the gate. Now, now this is not actually a reference to what we might call our front gate, you know, that which is the entrance point to our property. But the word here, um, the concept here is rather that of the city gate. You see, within, within biblical times, a city gate was more than just the entrance or exit point from a city, a city that was, that was normally a walled city. But city gates were often what we can call gate complexes. The gate was surrounded by a marketplace, but also a place in which legal disputes would be settled. So, so when one, for example, thinks about the book of Ruth, you know, when, when Boaz had the desire to fulfill what is called the leverage responsibility by getting married to Ruth, um, he has to do so by consulting with the, with the elders who are located in the city gates, you know, because that is where people went for, went for, for, for legal counsel and, and for guidance. You know, that is where trade took place. In fact, many of the Old Testament prophets would often preach in the city gates because there was always an audience there, people mulling around, people trading, people consulting. In fact, Amos chapter 5 speaks of the implications of this passage when he says that there needs to be justice in the gates. You see, we are living in times that is filled with turmoil and that is filled with political polarization. And we are required by God's word, according to God's law, to not neglect the great commitment of carrying the testimony of justice. So as we conclude this morning, I want to remind us that we need to be committed to God's word, not just through the great commandment, or the great commission but also in the great commitment and so like me the young boy wanted to know karate and so he found for himself a master by the name of Mr. Miyagi but he needed to learn that it required a great commitment 
and a willingness to sometimes even start with the most menial of tasks, like waxing on and waxing off. But in the end, it all paid, in which he was able to defend himself, in which he was able to accomplish the task. We need to take the great commitment seriously, that while we may not become masters of God's law, we are ever become mastered by it every day of our lives.